Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. Okay, if you're here, you can be seated if you're, for those who are here. Um, <clears throat> Really, it's my pleasure to be here with, uh, with you, here live uh, and also virtually at home. Um, I have to admit, just being here today, uh, it's really um, a reminder that Eastside's a place of comfort and of connection, of uh, charting our way forward as we practice resurrection um, and love. You know, this is a, a time that we're calling common time or ordinary time, but, um, you know, and we're going to the lectionary. Uh, for our passages, but um, sisters and brothers and siblings, this is actually no ordinary time um, because it is an extraordinary time uh, because we are uh, involved in a battle that rages all around us. And that is how this sermon is going to go, guys, is that there is a battle that rages all around us. Um, There is a fight and it's happening. And the fight you know, oftentimes in these kind of passages, as we're going to look into Ephesians 6, they're not restricted to sort of just internal fights of like good and evil. A lot of times passages like this get interpreted like there's a devil hiding behind every bush trying to get you to do bad stuff. And like you got to like fight that and do good stuff instead of bad stuff and like be really holy and, you know, place emphasis on personal piety, this, this conflict between good works and bad acts. You know, that, that's real. I think that's a real thing. And we all fight that. But Our fights here in Ephesians, as we're going to see, they're against powers and authorities and systems of inequity, against evil that pervades and spins webs and blankets our souls with despair. And so there's a fight to be had all around us right now. Um, So I want to spend a little time in the passage and then just kind of some three three observations about the fight itself. Uh, And so if you are here with us, um, I'll invite you to stand again. Uh, and, uh, and if you're at home, to uh, assume a posture to um, receive the, the word of God. So this is from Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist And put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. And always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. 
Pray that I may, I may declare it boldly, as I must speak. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Join in just a word of prayer. God, uh, as we gather in this time and place here in the sanctuary and across uh, the city and across the nation and across the world uh, in, in various homes, God, we pray that you would make um, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts uh, pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, you can be seated again. So we're going to get into this a little bit. I'm not going to kind of go crazy deep into the passage, but Ephesians 6 and also the last uh, reading from Joshua uh, 24 that Josh kind of shared with us, um, we're going to kind of look at both of those a little bit in juxtaposition. So um, here's some more context, right? And I think uh, Tim actually preached out of Ephesians a few weeks ago and, and gave a little bit of this context. So Paul was like this prisoner in Rome. And the thing about Paul being a prisoner in Rome is that it was really complicated. Like, he, w- he had all these, like, trips around the world, which I know, like, some of us are wanting to travel and can't these days. And he was, like, taking all these trips and going and planting churches and going here and going there. And he'd stop in Ephesus, and then he'd be like, okay, cool, now you guys, you know, I've got disciples, so I'll take this up, and I'll go to the next place. And he eventually got back to Jerusalem. They're like, welcome to Jerusalem. And he was like, thanks. And they're like, we see you're hanging out with a lot of Gentiles. And he's like, so what? And then they were like, we're going to get you. And he's like, I'm out of here. And so the Romans took him out, and he ended up in Caesarea. And then, you know, he was, you know, he got extricated by kind of Roman soldiers because he's a Roman citizen. And then he kind of like was in jail. And he's like, wait a second, I'm in jail. And uh, he demands an audience with Caesar. And he eventually gets transferred to Rome, where we know he spent several years in chains. And he's writing this letter to the Ephesians uh, as a prisoner in Rome. And so there are these systems at work, legal systems, cultural systems at work in um, Paul's own imprisonment, where forces are at work in a multitude of different directions. And then you've got this church in Ephesus, which is really diverse, um, racially and also just in terms of like Gentiles. Uh, It was led and fostered by Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollo. Um, There were a number of also kind of complex cultural forces at work. And if you read the kind of rest of Ephesians before this chapter, you hear and see a lot of this about like um, kind of paganism and different kind of religious practices. And, you know, just before this in in Ephesians 6 is, you know, some really kind of hyperbolic words from Paul about how uh, relationally people need to relate to each other. There's like relationship issues in that church. Um, And, you know, political issues, you know, and uh, this kind of newly formed church of Christ followers. And, you know, like, we, we read these Pauline epistles, and it's, a lot of times it's like, we're strangers to it. It's kind of like you're listening in to, like, a conversation. Because, like, when I email my friend, who emails? Like, when I, when I text my friends or WhatsApp my friends or whatever, like, it's, um, uh, there's, like, a context. We have all these inside jokes, you know? Like, we, we, we have, like, hashtags and memes. And, and so, like, Paul actually knows this church pretty well, spent some time ministering there, has like really kind of intimacy with them. So there's a lot that's like implied and inferred and read between the lines um, when Paul writes this letter. And he is trying to bucket all this stuff together, like this Jew and Gentile thing, these like pagan ritual things, these relational issues. Like he's like trying to bucket it all together because like he knows this stuff. He doesn't be like, so I heard, you know, like let me, let's do a brief history of our relation. You don't write to your friends that way, you know? And so all this stuff is in the mix and Paul's trying to like address all of it. Right? And so the letter is really interesting when you read Ephesians in that context. Um, yes, there were issues of like personal piety. There were relational issues. There were these pagan issues. And like, 
The theme that Paul tries to attempt to bucket this all together as he kind of like closes out the letter with a bang is like, y'all, there are forces of evil that need to be opposed with forces of good. That's like the, the tack that he takes, right? And by the way, it, just to kind of draw some metaphor, I don't want to overfit it, but one might look at the situation in the Western world, in the United States today, and, and note that we are also in a very complex moment politically and with cultural forces at work, you know, complicating the way you know, ministry happens and how the church is expressed into this time and place. And so we see some analog there. Um, and so when we understand that about Ephesians, and Paul's exhorting us to take up this fight, right, to put on this armor of God, and it's got this, like, all these, like, the wily, you know, the wiles of the devil and these fiery arrows, and it's like this very kind of, like, vivid imagery. There are three things I just want to kind of uh, share in terms of the message on my heart. Uh, first of all, like, we have to know that there's a fight. We got to know that there is a fight that rages on around us. Whether you like it or not, whether you're a part of it or not, there is a battle. And that fight, weirdly, these days, is easily missed and easily forgotten. Um, and then secondly, we need to choose to fight. And then thirdly, we got to fight this fight together. So first, to know this fight. You know, evil is not just the void of good. Um, you know, I had a pastor who used to say, we sometimes look at the work of faith and the work of outworking and being the hands of Jesus Christ as like, you know, a football game where there's only an offense and there's no defense. And we just have to like, <laughs> there's nobody, there's no way defending us. You just throw, you toss down the field and, there's, and then you score a touchdown, you know? And so the, the key thing is just to go out and play. And it's like, no, man, there's, there's a defense. There's another side that's fighting back against us. And, you know, um, sometimes that kind of like gets weirdly personified as like the devil, you know? And like, that's like a complicated theological construct that we have to like unpack. But there is a fight and it's around us. It's not a competition against ourselves where we're just trying to set our personal records on like how good we can be and how much we can love. Like there is opposing forces to this. It's a battle. Things are not phrased in this passage like put on the armor of God or just don't. You know, like it's not how it's phrased, right? It's not like choose this day, Joshua is speaking to the, the tribes of Israel, choose this day, you know, me and my household will serve the Lord or just don't choose, you know, like think about it for a while and like, oh, you can live in like this like interesting middle ground. That's not how it's worded. It's like choose this day, the God that delivered you from Egypt or the gods of this land that you inherit. But you got to choose one. Because there's a fight. And I think it's especially possible today to lose sight of the ongoing fight around us because we're insulated from the harsh realities of our world sometimes, right? And like COVID, I think, has brought this a lot more in a, in a lot more sort of imminent way to, to our perception. Um, but our brains constantly try to create ways to like insulate us a little bit. Um, you know, one of the things I hear a lot from my friends these days is, I try hard not to watch the news. Oh, I try to not watch the news because it gets me all triggered. I go down these black holes. And I really do get it. I get it because the news is constantly triggering. And, you know, the other day, but, but like the other day I turned on CNN just because I have this newborn and there's this like bottle that he has to eat food from. So I, like, I turned on CNN and I was like, wait, is, you know, this was like later in the week and a lot of stuff happened last week in the world. And later in the week I was turn, and I was like, wait, is Afghanistan still on? Like, there was a piece of me that was just like, what? Like, how is this still on? And of course, immediately I was like, well, because crazy stuff's happening out there and there's a lot of coverage. And like, of course, like, but 
when I usually watch screens, like my brain has this conditioning that like something cool or new is going to happen like about every eight seconds or so. And so I can't believe they're still like in the middle of day on CNN. There's like a panel of talking heads, you know, about you know discussing the nuanced details of whether Afghans are capable of self-government and like you know whether the U.S. staff really has paths and avenues to the airport in Kabul. And there's a part of me where it's like just a really quick moment where I'm like, ugh, like next, <laughs> like how do I just turn this off? Um, and that's a really dangerous instinct, friends. Like that is a dangerous instinct. Because the fact that our news cycles and our social media attention spans operate at a certain speed does not mean that the world operates at that speed. After we move on from heartbreaking images, you might have seen like these planes filled with 600 people just trying to get out of Dodge. And you know, these um, you know, people in Haiti that are suffering in the, in, the, in the wake of this unbelievably powerful and damaging earthquake, we're like, oh, you know, heartbreak emoji, like next one, like cool, like you know, someone's got some cool food they ate or whatever, and like here's a picture of this dog or this kid. And like, that's how we oftentimes are trained to consume the world. But here's the thing, like those people and those heartbreaking images are like real people and they're still there. <laughs> like they're still there dealing with the thing they're dealing with even while our perception moves on. Um, there are still today, even as we sit in this room, like kids jammed up at the Kabul airport, there are women and girls fleeing the Taliban or defying them by <laughs> like going to school and work. Like, there are possibly over 2,000 dead in the wake of that earthquake in Haiti. And there's, you know, after we move on from the headline, there's 30,000 families that are homeless. And there's another day and another night where they don't have a home. And no place to rest. And I think staying intimately aware and to know that there's a fight out there, making that fight a reality, that's a thing. And in these times, it's really easy for us to opt out of thinking about and knowing about the fight. But actually, like, we got to opt into it. There's one other thing to know. You know, Ephesians 6 has this verse where it says, our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And there's so much here, because Paul's referencing terminology that like, would have been very vernacular at the time, prevailing kind of like Roman mythology and mental models and the whole thing. But I think if you take the words at face value and you kind of read them into our world today, there's something really intense here. Because every fight is a battle of systems. Right? We don't get to just be like, oh man, this thing is happening, and like, that's very acutely as approximately caused by this one thing. And like, oh, that sucks, you know? Like, every fight is a battle of systems. Every flashpoint we see, there's actually a deeper set of spiritual forces at work. And so when Paul says, this is not a, a, enemies of blood and flesh, he's saying things like, this is not a geopolitical war of nations. This is a battle against a pervasive network of evil that works in concert mysteriously throughout the world. You know, racism connects to poverty. Economic injustice connects to environmental injustice. Environmental injustice connects to corporate greed, which connects to corruption in government. Inequity in health outcomes is directly related to educational and wealth gaps. Inequity in educational policy is directly related to deep systems of bias and history. 
Stuff is interrelated. You know, when we look at, again, I, I'm just using Afghanistan as an example. Like, it's not NATO against like, very specific nation states, and like, this is like the kind of like throes of war. This is a battle against all the forces of darkness on the planet. That's the fight. So we got to know there's a fight, and we got to know that it's a, it's a fight against systems. It's a systemic fight. And if that's true, then secondly, we got to choose to fight, because if the fight is systemic, then the failure to resist, to, the, 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 to not fight, it's actually complicity, and it's losing, is really what it is. You have to choose to fight. A choice to fight the fight entails significant preparation, acts of volition, habits of holiness. It's not a momentary fight. We have to choose it again and again. We've got to dedicate ourselves. We've got to consecrate ourselves. We have to stand up reminders in our lives. And it's funny, that passage in Joshua, the, the, the reason why like, we chose the verses we chose is because it's, it's almost comical. Joshua's like, choose this day. He does this whole history lesson. And like, God brought you out of Egypt. I'm going to choose the Lord. And they're like, us too. And he's like, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Ah, you're not, you're not serious. And they're like, no, we really are. And he's like, no, you're not going to really serve the Lord. It's like, why would he say that? That's a strange thing to say. And then he says, then you're witnesses. All y'all are witnesses, okay? You chose the Lord, you chose the Lord, and you saw her choose the Lord, and you saw it. We're witnesses of this. And he does this thing that he does a lot across all of Joshua, where he's like, this rock is a witness too. You know, like, I'm going to stand up this, this rock in this river, and that's going to bear witness too. Because in case we all somehow collectively forget that we chose the Lord, this rock is going to bear witness to it. He does this like five times in the book of Joshua, which is, I think, kind of interesting. We got to choose it again and again and again. You know, one of the things also I love about the armor of God in Ephesians 6 is just like how long it is. It's like a very long passage. It's, it's very strange juxtaposition of like technology because like breastplates and swords and shields and helmets. Like the ancient world had access to like battle gear, but a lot of this image really, imagery really suggests like this kind of Roman side of like Paul's worldview, right? This armor is heavy. It takes forever to put it on. You don't accidentally put on armor. You're not like, whoops, I am wearing all this stuff. Where did this come from? Like, oh, like you take serious time and effort to like put on all this bulky armor. You do it on purpose. It's a real choice every single day to, to equip yourself because the fight is not safe. You don't show up in the battlefield naked. And you're like, what? What's going on? You know? And the metaphor stands because things like, and we're not going to get into all this in the passage, but like things like faith, righteousness, peace, truth, the spirit that is the word of God, those are also intentional things that require effort and preparedness. Right? That's a lot of stuff that takes intentionality. You don't accidentally live in the faith. You don't stumble into righteousness or peace. It happens on purpose. So, I think this is actually what Paul's all about. I think his answer, again, bucketed directional prophetic word to like this very complicated church dealing with complex issues is stand up and choose to fight. Put on the armor of God. Take up the whole armor of God so that you can stand firm. Eastside Church, how do you choose to be devoted to the fight? It's not a one-time declaration. It's not a, hmm, like, I mentally assent to uh, condemn racism. Okay, and now I've done it. Check. You know, like it's, 
It's, you know, you did it. You, you solved racism. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's not a decision to be in a mental kind of camp. It's a choice to commit everything we are and with great preparation to live, sometimes counterculturally, immersed in intentionality, because living on autopilot subjects us to the inertia of the systems and the powers and authorities of the world. What are the ways that we're choosing a suit up in the armor of God? And that leads to the third point, which is we got to fight this fight together. Winning this fight demands our connected hearts. We got to remind ourselves and each other, let's not be polite about this at Eastside. Can we all agree to like not be polite about this? Can we tell each other that there's a fight going on out there with grace and with love and with healing, but also with urgency? We got to bear witness to the choices that we've made and fight this fight together. It's a huge point in that Joshua passage. And then in the Ephesians passage, I think that there's this kind of crucial thing that happens after he lists his whole armor of God. He says, pray for each other, which takes knowing the fight and choosing the fight and connects it super deep into our souls, right? It anchors it into our fiber, into the fiber of our being. There's this really intense kind of like personal viewpoint here. I like really sympathize with Paul as I was studying this because He's writing this heartfelt pastoral letter to the church in Ephesus, exhorting them to fight, to armor up, to struggle against powers and authorities. And then Paul asks them to pray for him too. As he also fights. It's like this deeply, like almost like emotional moment. Or at least that's, I mean, I'm projecting maybe. Like I'm a mess these days. So like I read that in here. Like Paul is trying to encourage his church to pray for all the saints. And then he's like, and also pray for me too. Because here sits Paul, not knowing when he'll get a chance. He demands an audience with Caesar. It's like unclear whether he got that audience. We know that how the, end, how the story of Paul ends. But like we don't know if he really got in front of Caesar and like submit his defense of Christian faith. He's been in chains, possibly for years. He knows now that this isn't like a holding period for like a Roman citizen. This is a, polit a political imprisonment for a persona non grata. He's alone. He's asking people to pray and connect spiritually to the saints in supplication, including himself, because they're all together in emphasis, and he's all alone in jail. He's encouraging them to fight the fight, and in this passage, he's asking them to encourage him to fight the fight. And so, like, allow me to get prophetic here for a minute also. Like, is there anyone in your life that's, like, encouraging you to go and fight the fight? and at the same time is in need of that encouragement too? Is there anyone out there just fighting the good fight who's like a witness, who bears witness, like, hey, you chose that fight. We're out to destroy planetary evil, you know? We're the, whatever, Avengers or Superman or whatever it is. Like, and it's also begging for you to join them at their side as they fight that fight. Who are these people that we can connect to that are like, Paul, like, is there someone hospitalized with COVID that can't see family and friends because of quarantine, fighting for their lives? Is there like a frontline worker that's just fighting this emotional battle literally every single day? Is there an educator, a parent, a child that's out there like just trying to do their best and fight that fight and they're somehow in a context or circumstances where they're kind of all alone? We got to fight this fight together. We got to pray for each other because expending that psychic energy on each other 
That's this, that's this investment, that's this privilege that we have to take the knowledge of the fight and the choice of the fight and to say, I'm going to connect, I'm going to create supernatural, spiritual tethers to the people around me and fight this fight together. So, you know, just a couple concluding thoughts. As I was preparing this sermon, it was like a little too fiery. I was like, oh, this is turning out to be really intense. I don't know, like if, every time I was just, you know, we were praying beforehand, I was like, every time I get up here and I have the, the privilege of the pulpit, like, I'm like, they might not invite me back next time. <laughs> like, this is, this might, I guess this might be it, you know? Um, and I recognized, because like I was going through social media this week and I was just like, there are all these memes out there right now. It's like, hey, it's okay if all you did was survive today, guys. Like, it's okay if like, it's, you know, maybe you expect more from yourself, but like we're in extenuating circumstances and you gotta like give, get yourself off the hook. And I really agree with that, I get it. Like sometimes the fight is just about grinding it out. Sometimes the fight's just about surviving another day. You know, just slogging through the trenches, right? I agree with all those memes and tweets telling us to give ourselves permission to just survive for a day, to not be guilt-ridden, that we're incapable of doing more. I, I get it. But even as we have these rough days, weeks, and months, even as we tend to like our mental health and have empathy for the struggles of others, we do not, we cannot weaken our resolve to oppose the evil of this world, right? Those things are not mutually exclusive. Like, I, I was thinking about this, like, I read these stories about athletes that, like, suffer these insane, like, totally, like, whack injuries, and then they're, like, you know, in a hospital bed, and the doctor's like, uh, you want to run track, like, you might not even walk again, right? Like, you want to play basketball, like, your spinal cord doesn't work. Like, it's going to take months of rehab for you to remember how to do left foot, right foot again, you know? And they're like, ugh. And of course, the way the story goes is like rehab, like, you know, cue, smash cut to video montage and inspiring music. And the guy's like walking and run, and then like all of a sudden like running and then like shooting a basketball. And then like now it has somehow returned to like the world of like elite competitive athletics. And when we need to kind of check ourselves in and like work on ourselves and like restore ourselves and heal ourselves, it's not just like, you know, like, um, a spa day or whatever, like, a spa days are good, and like, we need our mental health, but like, it's not just like, oh, we're, we're opting out of like, how hard life is, bye-bye, you know? It's like, we're going to rehab to get better, because like, we're gonna go out there and compete again. And like, I don't, I don't care if it feels like I'm suffering significant deficit and injury, like, I'm gonna get better, not just to walk, but to run, right? Like we heal ourselves and we heal each other and we're there for each other and we restore one another because there is a fight out there and we gotta go fight it. Where am I? What's going on? You know, like I, I went off script. So I know it's a weird word. I know this is like a weird message in a time like this. But it's an important one because harm and trouble in this world is not this unfortunate and tragic instant, and we just kind of have to do our best and that's it. It's something that we decide to stand up and fight together. With all of our time, our talent, our treasure, with deep dedication and perpetual consciousness and being bound together in prayer. So, exhortation for us, like, find a way, a way to know the fight and remind yourself of it. Think on it deeply and broadly. The troubles of this world, even the troubles of your life, they are troubles of systems. Study, read, think, discuss, invest that precious resource, human attention, 
into the fight against evil in this world. Secondly, harden your resolve and choose to fight. Wake up every day and choose to fight. You know yourself best, the ways that you can galvanize yourself and motivate yourself. Maybe to fight, you need to be healed. Go, go be healed. Maybe to fight, you need to be inspired. Go and avail yourself of that inspiration. Whatever it is, it'll take preparation. It takes forever to put on an armor, a suit of armor. It'll be done on purpose. And it's a decision that takes all the dedication we have. And then finally, fight together. Remind each other, bear witness to each other, and pray for each other. And you know, like, again, like, I'm always testing the bounds of this thing. I'm not here to, like, make controversial statements or be critical of others, but, like, I also just want to come out and say it. Like, I think there are lots of churches that aren't fighting. I think there are churches that try to do good, try to help out in their communities, but they aren't fighting systems of evil and having put on the full armor of God. But Eastside Church, I think we're the kind of place that fights. I've seen, I've known the passion of the people here. I've seen how riled up people will get around systemic injustice. I have understood the effort and have not myself participated in it enough that goes into serving and loving our neighbors here and in very far-flung corners of the earth. I believe we are that kind of place that opts into the fight. In the name of the Creator who calls us, the Redeemer who reveals us, and the Sustainer who supports us. Amen. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this week's message, and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's east side, you can visit our website, www.eastsideatl.org, and find our giving portal there.